Good morning, everyone. How are you this morning? My name is Hunter Upson. I'm one of the pastors here at our South Haven campus of Getwell Church. Glad that you've joined us for worship. If you've carved out time this morning, whether you're here on campus or you're joining us online, however and wherever, we're glad you're here. And especially if you're our guest this morning, glad to have you uh, join us for worship this morning. Now, uh, Allie had mentioned earlier that we're beginning a new sermon series this morning for the next eight weeks, essentially this entire summer. We're going to be focusing on the Beatitudes of Jesus. Now, the Beatitudes are those first statements that we find in uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And so uh, we're going to spend, uh, really, the course of the summer looking at those first statements. Because here's the thing. If you look at it and you read those statements, it sets up everything else that Jesus is going to say and the, next, and the rest of that sermon to come. And so... If those are his first statements, then surely they're important for us to pay attention to. And so we're going to dive into those uh, for the next eight weeks. Now, whenever it comes to each of us, we have uh, unique personalities, right? Um, we, we have differences of opinions. Uh, but even so, uh, even though we have unique quirks, some of you have more than, than I do, uh, no matter your Myers-Briggs, your Enneagram number, what, whatever it is, no matter your job, your background, your history, uh, there's one thing that almost every single person desires, something that almost every single person uh, longs for, Right? That's that good life, right? We want that good life. Uh, and so when, you, when I say the good life, you've probably got an image in your mind uh, that, that comes, uh, comes to fruition there. Uh, and I think that's because as Americans, we have a thing in us called the American dream, right? It's been so instilled. It's been here since the beginning. It's in one of our founding documents. Our founding father said this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and say it with me, the pursuit of happiness, right? But what if, what if where we're pursuing happiness is the wrong place? What if that thing that we're pursuing never really can bring us happiness? Uh, when I think about happiness, I think about what makes me happy one minute doesn't seem to make me happy the next, right? And so it just becomes a guessing game. But what about this good life that maybe God has created us for? What if it looks nothing like what we keep striving after time and time and time again? What if Jesus has a different way? And so I want us to look at one of Jesus's, this is where we're going to be for the next eight weeks, one of Jesus's most foundational teachings in Matthew chapter 5, where he's telling his disciples that here are the kind of people that God blesses. So who are those kind of people that God blesses? Look at me. Look with me. Well, you can look at me, but that's kind of weird. But let's look on the screen together. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. 
Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so over and over again, what we see is that Jesus says this word, blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. And in the Greek, uh, this word is makarios, makarios, blessed. And so these phrases that we find, blessed are, blessed are, are called beatitudes. Uh, It's essentially proclamations of who is blessed, regarding who is blessed. And I love what one commentator said, I was reading it this week, uh, and he said, these are kind of like congratulations statements. Congratulations, you poor in spirit, because the kingdom of heaven is yours. And you see, what these are, these are statements, these are things, these are, are things to be envied. Ways of life that lead to great reward for us. Now, Jesus' audience, who's hearing this for the first time, they would have uh, been very familiar with these kind of beatitude statements because Psalms and Proverbs are just filled uh, with these blessed are uh, statements. And so what he's saying is, what Jesus is showing us, is that living this way of life, living out these qualities, this leads to true happiness. Makarios, happiness, blessing. Happy is the person who has lived this out because the reward is yours. What I love is if you look at, at these Beatitudes, he, he begins with this idea for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then he ends with the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The reward of heaven is theirs. It's almost like he's saying that if we live this kind of life, There is something great to come. And it's heaven. It's life with him. It's life eternal. And so what happens is these Beatitudes, when we look at them, it's not so much that it eliminates those of us who who can't seem to find ourselves in that list just yet. But it's it's ways of life. It's qualities that we are to, to want to live into, to want to strive after. They're foundations for a way of life that lead to being part of the kingdom of heaven. It's the good life. That's what it is. And we can't walk down two paths at the same time. I think sometimes we try to do that very often. And so what this does is it leads us to a decision. Are we going to walk down our own path? Or are we going to walk down the path that Jesus is making for us? Which path are we going to choose? That's the question we have to ask. Now, I think the problem is that some of us have said, all right, Jesus, I'm going to walk down this path. And so as we start walking down it, we go, this looks nothing like the blessed life that I thought it was supposed to be, right? You're like, this makes no sense. So we start to ask, like, Jesus, is this really what you had in mind for a blessed life? Is this the good life? And so let's look at our first beatitude. It's, it's really fundamental. Uh, it's not the most important of the beatitudes, but it is key for us. And so Jesus said this in the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we were to write the beatitudes ourselves, I think they would probably say something a little like this. Blessed are the strong for they make their own way, right? Blessed are the beautiful for they will be admired. Blessed are they who replace the TP role because they will live long on the earth, right? (laughs) Blessed are you when you have power and control. See, if it was up to us, we would choose our own way because that's what we think is blessing. But Jesus begins, blessed 
are the poor in spirit. And if we get this part, if we understand it, if we begin to apply it to the rest of our lives, the rest of this series, the rest of these Beatitudes will begin to become clear to us. We'll begin to understand it. Jesus here is not talking about financial poverty. Uh, in, in Matthew, Matthew who's, who's writing this down, uh, he's recording it in uh, Koine Greek. And in Greek, there's actually two words uh, to describe poor, all right? English is such a great language. One word to describe six million different ways to say something, right? But there's actually two words uh, to describe poor here. And one means economically deprived, all right? But that's not the word that Jesus uses. Matthew records Jesus as using this word tokos, Tokos, all right? It's an automatopoeia. Who knows what an automatopoeia is? It's a word that, that sounds, that means what it sounds like, right? Like as you say it, so buzz, hiss. They look like it, they sound like it, they're spelled like it. Do you know what the word tokos sounds like? It's that sound that you make when you spit. Tokos. Yeah. What Jesus is saying is that in his kingdom, those who are deemed the lowest, those who are the down and out, the broken and the forgotten, the ones that are so low on the totem pole that people just spit on them, those, the poor in spirit, are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven, the tokos. And so what we have to understand here is that Jesus is saying about these poor in spirit that these are the kind of people who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. These are the kind of people who live that happy, that fulfilled, that good life. The kind of people who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are those who understand their need for Jesus. They know that they can't do it on their own. And I think that it's no coincidence that this happens to be our first beatitude because it is so important that we understand it because it's such a requisite for us to come into a relationship with Jesus. To know that we have to surrender everything to him. That we are utterly empty. We need Jesus. And I love the way that the New Living Translation translates this beatitude. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now to illustrate this point, uh, if you'll turn with me, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 for a few minutes. Uh, Luke chapter 7, so if you'll turn there. Uh, I want us to look at uh, one of, uh, an example of Jesus. He's meeting with a Pharisee and he's going to tell a short little parable. Uh, but it has huge significance for us to see this poor in spirit in the kingdom of heaven uh, for us. And so Luke chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, he be uh, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, keep that in mind, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. 
Remember, he said it in his mind. And here's Jesus. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed a certain money, uh, money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which one will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the greater debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my, on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now what we see in this story is that there's two very different responses to Jesus. Two very different attitudes to Jesus being in their midst. You've got this Pharisee, Simon, who believes that he's important, right? And he's done enough just by having Jesus in his home. He's, he's entertaining him, even though Jesus clearly makes it very understood that he's not a very good host, right? Uh, he's totally missing the mark of realizing who it is that is in his midst. And then you have this woman who comes, who, who, who empties everything that she has, her most expensive perfume, her reputation, putting everything on the line to come to Jesus, emptying herself. She received the thing, that one thing that she needed for her soul. That's what she had been longing for. Forgiveness. Forgiveness and peace and new life. That's what Jesus offered her. You see, people who uh, were typically righteous didn't typically come to follow Jesus. It was those who were sinners. Those who realized that they had done wrong and that they needed the grace of God. People who thought they were good people, who thought that they had it all together, they, they didn't see their need for a Savior. They could earn their way into uh, this, this life because of their, their deeds. But people who are the citizens of the kingdom of God, the truly happy, the fulfilled people, are those who know that they are sinners and who are nothing without Jesus, without the grace of God that God displayed through Jesus. Don't miss this. It's that we need to open our hands because God only fills empty hands. We need to open our hands because only God fills empty hands. To be poor in spirit means that we live with empty hands knowing that God is leading us to the good life. And that the good life comes from God alone. If we're convinced of our own goodness, then we have no need of the goodness of God. And you can think about that and apply that principle all across the spectrum of following Jesus. Those who feel capable of, of doing thing and everything in their own power never find power in God. 
and his wisdom. Those who feel capable to handle all their relationships and all the things that that comes with will never experience the power of God in their relationships if you keep holding on to your own stuff. It's when we depend on God for, and not ourselves for provision and wisdom and guidance that we begin to access his power. See, belief both in our need but also in his ability, his capacity to meet it. It begins to unlock the power of God at work in our lives. Now, I think that most of us have spent so much energy and so much of our lives trying to be anything and everything other than poor in spirit. Just part of it. We do nothing but chase shadows so often instead of really finding the good life where it is. But we look for the good life in all the wrong places. We want to be rich in spirit, or at least we want to be upper middle class, right? We want to feel like we're sufficient for the task, like we've got it all under control. Like we don't need to be afraid of, we don't want to be afraid of what's going to happen in the future. We just want to make sure that we have it all in a row, all by ourselves. We want to pull ourselves up. We want to make our own way. But here's the thing, is that we cannot do that spiritually. Can't happen. It doesn't happen. But when we find ourselves at the very rock bottom, when we find ourselves poor in spirit, then we find ourselves makarios, blessed, happy, finding ourselves free and honest and really truly ourselves. And we begin to start asking the question like, why have I never experienced this before? Why did I wait so long? Because at that point, when we're at our lowest, when we recognize our need, that's when we see the beauty of Jesus for all that he is in our lives. Friends, we're bankrupt. We're overdrawn. We're poor. We're spiritually broken. And too often we settle for that being the way that it's just going to be. But it doesn't have to be. We don't have to remain there. Jesus wants to take and transform and bring new life out of us. We, have, we can cry out, and we should. We should cry out to God asking him for what only he can give to us. We have to empty ourselves to be able to receive Jesus. Dr. Derwin Gray in his book, The Good Life, he writes this about that moment. He says, we cry out because our worst moment and best moment happen simultaneously in the recognition that we are utterly spiritually bankrupt and that God is utterly rich in mercy. God's mercy meets our need. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Many of our beatitudes are, are paradoxical realities that seem so opposed to the way of this world. The kind of people that Jesus is talking about here, those poor, they're ones that would have never been part of a kingdom before. They may have resided under a lordship, but they're people who are just trampled on, who, who aren't cared about, that people of power and influence begin to just walk all over them. The kingdom of, of God, this is what Jesus says, that, God, that God's kingdom does not operate like the kingdoms of this world. He takes the weak and he makes them strong. 
He takes the poor, the least likely. Because here's the thing is he knows that they will lean into the power and the beauty and the wonder and the love of their Savior. That's the kingdom. Because here's the thing, those poor, they have nowhere else to go but God. Jesus is the kingdom. His kingdom is one that, that is not inaugurated through might or, or war, but we enter through it through his strength. It's inaugurated when we want to admit and we come to that place where we admit that we're weak. We're not able to. Jesus, we need you. Christ died on the cross and he calls his followers to die on the cross as well. And it's only through his death that we can find resurrection. It's only through our weakness that we find his strength in him. It's only through our admitting our spiritual bankruptcy that we begin to experience the riches of the good life or that is life in Christ's kingdom. It all starts with admitting. Admitting. Now, if we're not careful, if you read scripture like I do oftentimes, you're like, all right, I got to get through these 12 verses, so let's read through them real quick. But if we weren't careful and we don't slow down, we don't notice what happened at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5. Look back there with me, those, those opening words. The crowd's gathering. They're looking for answers of how to live the good life. And Jesus doesn't dismiss them. He's not dismissive. He doesn't tell them all the ways that they've sinned. Oftentimes we think that that's the way it is, that they've screwed up and Jesus is going to give it to them. He doesn't. He sat down and he began to point the way. Jesus sat with them. He sat with them. He sat with them in their hurts, in their heartaches, in their disappointments, their fears, Jesus entered into that moment and he said, when you feel like you can't do it anymore on your own right, I'm right here. I'm right here. Jesus sat with them. All of us are pursuing the good life. And maybe the truth is, is that we need to just stop and let Jesus sit with us right now. In the midst of our relationships, our fears, our stress, our worry, our anger, our loss. If you feel like you're just barely holding it together, you're not alone. If you feel overwhelmed, you're not alone. If you feel like this pain and this heartache and this, this world, this life that seems to be living, that just like it's not going to end, you're not alone. You're not exempt. You're not left out. Because Jesus is sitting with you. We can't inherit the kingdom of God if we keep hanging on to our own kingdoms. We have to understand our desperate need for a savior and not cling on to our own riches. See, your riches and your righteousness will never save you. Only God can do that. And you can't take your money with you when you go. And it really can't make you happy. You, have, you can't earn your way into heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ. Our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. We all need Jesus. So my question is, do you believe that? Not just in, in saying it out, but do you, do you truly, really believe that? Or do you think that you've just got this? 
all throughout Scripture, it's the witness all throughout Scripture, is that God sees and God takes care of, God provides for, God loves the poor and the lowly and the needy. And so may God help us to realize that we are poor in spirit, that we're bankrupt, that that we have to empty our hands. Let us be people who empty our hands so that we can receive and find true, good life. And let us be okay with realizing that we're poor. Because here's the thing. When we empty ourselves out, we have a God who holds the riches of the kingdom of heaven. Let's be those kind of people who seek the good life, who empty themselves to receive the goodness and the graciousness of who God is and his love and grace and mercy.